Good morning. Please forgive me. Um, probably should have done this before. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pleasure to be here this morning, to be able to share the word with you. Uh, um, <clears throat> my name is Jonas. Um, I'm originally from Mozambique, Africa, so I'm glad that I can stand here before you and just share God's word. But before I start, I'm going to pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for your goodness, for your love, for your mercy. We thank you that you have loved us first. And you call us to just humble ourselves and to just follow you, Lord. We thank you so much for that. And I pray this morning as we hear your word, I pray that you will um, just give us the desire to just follow you, to just be humble and follow the steps that you direct us to. We thank you so much for the opportunity that, that we have to gather together, not fearing uh, any repercussions, and let us not take that for granted, God. Thank you so much for everything, God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So, um, today we'll be in the book of Acts, chapter 17. Um, I believe it's a sermon series that the church has been going through this year. Um, so if you have your Bibles or, you know, you can look at the screen there, uh, Acts 17. We're going to start from verse 16, and we're going to read all the way through verse 34. So... Um, I'm going to ask everyone to stand as we read God's word and, um, so that we can read all together. Paul in Athens. <clears throat> now, while Paul was waiting... His spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who appeared to be there. Some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, and saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you're preaching, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for I passed along and observed the object of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription, To the God unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, 
nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. For we are indeed his offspring. Being the God, God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art or imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Thank you. You may be seated. As you could tell, I'm not a very good English reader. <laughs> yeah, again, I'm, I'm very glad to be here to, to share God's word. Um, I love the book of Acts. It's, it's a very um, constructive book um, as far as preaching the gospel, and, and we see so many uh, situations in which some of us probably live or experience on a, on a daily basis, not necessarily here in America, even in other countries also. So it's, it's very uh, good that we can get, gather together and just get um, encouraged by God's word in that sense. Um, when I was young, um, back in Mozambique, at the age of eight, or six, eight, nine, ten years old, um, there were situations that I went through. And one of those situations was the fact that sometimes um, soldiers would come and attack the village that we lived in, and everybody would run away and go to hide. And so one time that I specifically remember is that the people came very early in the morning. He might have been probably 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. They came and they attacked the village. And everybody, as usual, was running away, going to the hiding place. And so sometimes those hiding places did not, um, they were not the right places to go, depending on what direction the bad people came from. So we found ourselves running towards a different direction rather than going to the hiding place. And so this one time that I remember, we ran to 
this, this village where there was a Catholic church and there was a base, uh, soldiers that defended the local people. They were gathered there and they were firing towards the town where the enemy was. And so I do remember specifically that when we got there, there was really nothing to do. Everybody was just there, sitting in families and talking, and there was nothing to do. Nobody could do anything, and we just ate and talked every day until the enemy, uh, the, the government's uh, army, um, they made sure that the enemy was gone, and everybody was told to go back to their homes. And so what I want to draw your attention to is the fact that it's not fun to be in, in hiding. <laughs> it's not fun to be in fear, you know, fearing to be attacked or to be killed or to be going through such kinds of situations. It's not fun at all. And in fact, it's so unsafe that you, you don't re- even get to sleep because you, you know that at, at any point, you know, people might come and, um, and take your life. And so that's a, a situation that I can remember, which Paul identifies with this. Paul knows what it is to fear. Paul knows what it is to, to be persecuted. Um, and again, th- this is a man that once he persecuted the church himself. He went from place to place, killing Christians, uh, inflicting pain on them, and all that stuff. And now at this point in his life, he's, he's the one being persecuted. And so he travels to Berea in this passage, and while there, he faces persecution again, um, and he flees to Athens in search of a place to be safe, in in search of a place to to not fear that anybody would come against him and try to kill him or do something harmful to him. And so this is where he finds himself, in Athens. And now... You might remember from school or from reading books or something like that, what Athens was like at this point in time. It was the home of science. It was the home of philosophy. It was, it was home of art and architecture. You know, you would go around Athens and you would see all sorts of buildings, beautiful buildings, and, 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 and some of those buildings were used as shrines where people would go and worship gods, different gods. And so this is where Paul is at. And, and what our passage tells us this morning is that he goes every day, he goes out and he walks around the city and he goes to the market, marketplace, and he reasons with people. And what that means is he talks to people about God. He talks to people about Jesus. And so this is a man that is so hungry to share the word of God that every day he's, he does this, either in the synagogue or you know, at the marketplace or wherever, he finds an opportunity to do that, he does it. And joyfully, he does it joyfully. joyfully. So, Paul keeps sharing God's word with local people, with, you know, philosophers and, you know, different people at the marketplace. And so they decide that they're going to, you know, uh, take him to the court the Aeropagus, and, and again, the Aeropagus is, is, is the place also called um, Mars Hill. It was the place where the Athenians, the Athenian court gathered to deal with, you know, issues related to um, legal issues, uh, 
you know, the, the court gathers there to settle situations that happen in, the, in their society. And so, again, here he's in a city with lots of altars and shrines and temples and lots of idols. And, and he goes to that meeting knowing all these things. He knows all these things. He has seen all these idols, and he has seen what is going on in the city. And so, to some extent, this affects him. It affects him. And now, my first point this morning is how Athens affects Paul. In the verse 16, it says here, Now, while Paul was awaiting for, the, for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. And so Paul sees all these things, and the way it affects him it is it arouses his spirit. It stirs up his spirit to do what? To preach the gospel, which is exactly what he was doing. And the reason why he was preaching the gospel is he knew that the people worshiping those those idols, people in those shrines, people in those temples that were dedicated to worshiping false gods, they were lost. He knew, he knew this, and he wanted to bring the true gospel to them, to preach Jesus, the Savior, to those people so they would find Jesus and be saved. So this was his intent here. Now, the first time I came to the States, it was in 2012, and then I came again in 2013. And both these times, every time I would go back to Mozambique, people would ask me, so tell us about America. What is it like? And what people were looking for here was to hear about buildings and about roads, you know, because when people think about America, what they think about is what they see in the movies, okay? Like tall buildings, skyscrapers, and, you know, multi-lane roads, and, you know, beautiful, beautiful stuff. So much that at one point, one of my nephews called me. He said, hey, can you send me your address? And I sent it to him. He Googled it, and he found my address. And he saw a bunch of fields around, and he's like, are you sure you're in America? <laughs> right? But that's because the, of the image they have of America. So when I went back to Mozambique, they would ask me, tell us how, how beautiful it is. And, and of course, I had been to different places. I went to uh, Chicago. I went to Washington, D.C. And I saw, like, you know, big cities. And I went back and I told them, of course, it's beautiful. And, but also, there are rural areas. You know, there is fields. And there are fields? Yes, there are fields. Where do you think people get food from, you know? <laughs> so here, here, here I am describing America in terms of what I had seen, like buildings and roads and all that kind of stuff. Now, when we look at Paul, the way he described Athens in this meeting was, I have seen that you are very religious. Because as I walk around, I see idols. And you even have this idol to the unknown God. Okay, so this is, this is Paul here speaking at this point. And so, religious, this word religious is not a word that someone can be proud of because, I mean, if you're religious, you can practice any type of religion. You can practice Islam, you can, you can practice Catholicism, 
anything. Now, if, if he said you're very Christian, then that, that would be awesome because a Christian is that person that actually worships Jesus. Okay? And so he says here in this meeting that you're very religious. And he says this with a feeling in his heart, with a sense that these people, they need to hear God's word. They need to hear about salvation that only Jesus brings to them. They need to hear this message that I, I so much long to transmit to them, to, uh, to bring to them. It's almost like if he was, you know, weeping because of their situation, spiritual situation. And this might not be um, something new to you. In fact, Jesus himself we read in Luke 19 that he wept over Jerusalem because he knew that even the Jews themselves, they were lost. They did not trust in the Messiah. And so we find that in Luke 19, 41, where it says, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. And so Jesus was there with the Jews, and we know that the Jews were the people that were, had been chosen by God to bring in salvation to the whole mankind. And so even those Jews are the ones that did not recognize Jesus, they persecuted Jesus, they did not believe in Jesus, and here he weeps over Jerusalem. And so that's the feeling that Paul has here when he sees all those idols, and he knows that the God, gods that are being worshipped here they're not gods that bring life, but death. They bring death. So he preaches the word of God to them. Now, what is wrong about these idols? What is wrong about somebody worshiping something is not truly God? What is wrong with it? What is wrong with it is it robs the glory that belongs to God. That is what's wrong. The glory is supposed to be to God himself. And by worshiping something that is a false god, then you're taking the glory that's supposed to go to God and putting it on Satan or an object that was made by man. In Philippians 2, 9 through 11, he says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we can clearly see here we were made to worship God. At his name, we are supposed to bow down to him and worship him alone to the glory of God the Father. We are not called to worship an idol. We're not, we're not called to worship an object that was made by man, a sculpture or anything like that. That is not what we're called to do, but we're called to worship Jesus because what he brings to us is life, not death. And there is a lot of ancestral worship in many different places in the world, including in my own country. And I have observed, I have watched people worship their ancestors with my own eyes. When something happens in somebody's life, if there is misfortune or, you know, something is going 
not the way people want in their lives. Um, most of the times what people think is the gods or their ancestors are mad at them. They're upset with them. And so they have to do something to appease them. And so what they do is they, they go to the witch doctor who tells them, obviously, to do something to appease the gods, which is organize a party where they're going to give their ancestors food uh, so that they cannot be mad anymore. They're happy with them, and their life would go back to normal, and you know there will be that luck they had before it continued. And so people spent money. They buy food. They gather together. They sing and dance, and they take this food to the tree, and they pray there. And I tell you, this prayer is horrible. I know you're mad at me. Please help me. Forgive me for not doing this, this, and that. Can an ancestor forgive somebody's sin? No. No. So I've seen these things happen in my own country with my own eyes. People doing these things. And that is no different from worshiping an idol, a statue that is put there that was produced at a factory somewhere or somebody carved it, you know, they put it there and they worship it. That is no different. And so what happens is in, in those circumstances is, is they put the food there and, you know, they leave it there overnight. The next morning, they go back to the tree, the food is not there, and they think the ancestors have eaten the food when cats and dogs came and ate that food. That's, I'm sorry, that's just, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. But there are people that are so given to those kinds of things. They're in there that that's what they do. It's been their life, you know, since they were born and they saw those things happening. And then they never really had a chance to worship God, to worship Jesus, who actually it is God to be worshipped. They didn't have that chance. Or maybe they declined the chance they had. Even the Israelites themselves, they did these things. If you can remember the golden, the golden calf story in the book of Exodus 32, we see that Moses took the people from, from Egypt and they went through it, they went past the, the Red Sea and they get to the desert. And Moses is called by God to go up the mountain to talk to God. When the people stayed down with, with Aaron, what did they do? They took all the jewelry and you know the different things, the metals that they got from Egypt. They created a golden calf. They produced a golden calf and they started worshiping it. This is our God. The Israelites themselves, who had seen the miracle that God had performed, who had taken them out of Egypt where they were suffering, they were being oppressed. He took them there. He opened up the sea, and they went past in a dry land. They saw these things, and they get there to the desert. They forsake God, and they start to worship the golden calf. And so what happens is when Moses comes back, he gets angry angry at them. And we read that in Exodus 32, 19, where it says that what Moses did, he had them burn that down 
and he pounded it into powder, and he mixed it up in water. He made them drink it. That's how angry Moses was, because Moses was a man of God. He was up there talking to God about the people, about help that they so much needed to get to the promised land. And they stayed down there, and they do this. He was angry, and rightly so. And so, idolatry, it robs the glory that belongs to God. Now, you might be sitting here and thinking, well, I'm so glad that we don't have idols here in America. But I do believe that there are idols here. There might be not idols like statues that people, you know, uh, bow down and worship, but there are other idols. It could be power, you know, willing to have power so much that we're willing to do anything for it. That could be an idol. Prestige. Wanting to have prestige, to gain prestige in the society, and to be known as someone who is in an upper level, that could be an idol to someone. They can try all they can to achieve that and make that their God and worship it. That happens. Possessions. Possessions could be an idol too. Wanting to have this, wanting to have that, and not being satisfied with what we have. Not being content with what we have. And the more we have, and the more we want. And that can become our idol. So there are so many things that can become idols in this society, in America, in Europe, anywhere. There are idols that we worship. There's fame too. I want to be famous. I tell you some, something funny that even to this day I remember when I met my wife Erica back in Mozambique, I remember one question she asked me. She said, what do you want to be one day? Like, you know, what's, what's your aim? What, what is it? Tell me. I said, I want to be rich. She was like, she thought, maybe this is not the guy. <laughs> she didn't tell me then. She told me later on once she understood what I meant by being rich because what i meant and being rich over there just means having enough food to eat every day you know uh not going to bed thinking what am i gonna eat tomorrow so if you have food and you're sure that the next day you're gonna eat every day you're gonna have food to eat you're considered rich over there and that's what i wanted is that being rich i don't think it's it that's being rich here in america but for us over there, that is rich, and that's what I wanted. And I told her, I want to be rich. <laughs> right? In reality, that was not being rich. So the second point that I want to make this morning is how did Paul affect Athens? Um, any place we go to, we can either let ourselves be affected by that place or we can affect that place in a certain way, or both things can happen. And so I've seen here, Paul, that he was affected by the things that were, ha were happening, by the worship uh, that was happening to idols, and he was affected by that, and then he decides to preach the gospel to, Athen to the Athenians. And so let's see now how Paul affects Athens, which is the preaching of the gospel. At the 
Areopagus. In verse 24, it says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. That's, this, is, this is really, really interesting. When you, look at, when you look at today's church, you see those mega churches and, you know, people, like thousands of people in one church. And it's so easy to think that, man, I'm going to go to church and, to find God. That's where God is, right? And even I was, as I was growing up, going to church was like something customary. Every Sunday we went to church, and in my mind, I would find God at church. And so I never missed because my parents were pastors and we were used to going to church and thinking that I was, I was going to find God at church, at the building. <laughs> but when we look back at the beginning of times, in, right in the book of, of, of Genesis, Adam and Eve, they lived in communion with God. I'm not sure there was a building there. I'm not sure, but the Bible tells us that there was a garden, but we don't know if there was a building there, if they built something. But God still lived with them. God, it tells us that God would come towards the end of the day and he would hang out with them and talk to them and spend time with them. He was delighted in that. And fast forward to the, um, to the time when people were in the desert, uh, Moses is given instructions to build a tabernacle. And so he builds a tabernacle, which this was after sin entered the world. And the tabernacle was meant to bring people together with God to, to, so that God, people would meet with God within the tabernacle. And so we can clearly see here that God has always wanted to have communion with his people, to get together with his people. Not necessarily in a building as such, but with his people in their hearts. And then fast forward again. Um, King Solomon builds a, a definite temple in Jerusalem, which was also called the house of worship to all peoples. So this, this is happening. We see God really wants to have fellowship with his people. And Jesus, when the temple was transformed into a den of thieves, he got angry and he, you know, he kicked the people out and he uh, destroyed the stuff they were selling in there because he knew that was the place for God to come together with his people. And so God does want to have fellowship with us. He wants to have fellowship with us. And in the book of 1 Corinthians, we read that, oh, do you not know that our, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have, you have from God, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. So today, where we meet with God is within our heart. God does not live in this building. Today, this building could be demolished, but we will still have Jesus in our hearts. Even those those mega churches, they could be demolished or banned or anything like that, but still people would be able to worship God because God does not necessarily live in this building. He lives within us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so it says here that we have to worship him knowing that we are the temple. 
Worship him with all our being. We have been bought with a price. What was the price? It wasn't money. It was the death of Jesus Christ. Then sinless man that was crucified on the cross, he became sin himself. He became cursed. And he died there on the cross so that you and I could have access to God. And when he was resurrected, just before he ascended into heaven, he said he was going to bring the Holy Spirit to be within us, in the midst of us. And on the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit really comes down. And he fills the room, the upper room where the, the disciples were worshiping God. And each one of them received the Holy Spirit. And today, from the moment that you accept Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit became, begins to live in you. You become a temple of the Holy Spirit. That means it doesn't matter where you are. If you're at work, you can worship Him. If you're watching a football game, you can still worship Him. If you're driving, you can still worship Him. You don't have to be at church in order to worship. Of course, you can go to church to have uh, communion with people, to have interaction with people. You need those people too for growth, but the Holy Spirit lives within you. Amen. The Holy Spirit lives within you. And in verse 24 of our passage this morning, it says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heavens and earth, does not live in temples made by man. 25, nor is he served by human, by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And I think this is such great news this morning that God, he is not served by human hands. There are so many, I believe there are so many situations where we think, what can I do for God? I got to do this for God. I got to do that for God so that I can earn God's favor. And I grew up in that environment, believe me. I grew up in a situation like that. I had to go to church in order to earn God's favor. I had to go visit the sick so that God would have, you know, to gain some points as far as the kingdom of God is concerned. These are the things that I did growing up in a church, so legalistic. I remember that even women, women were not allowed to wear earrings because it was, it was too worldly. Can you, can you believe that? So there are so many things that we do thinking that we're pleasing God and, and so we're going to gain God's favor. That is not how it works. God, does, God is not served by human hands. There is nothing, literally nothing we can do that will give us the right for salvation. There is nothing at all. The only thing we can do is just to have faith in Christ. That's what, that's what he asked for. He asked for. To have faith in Christ. And all those things, if, you, if you're going to do something, that has to be a result of the work that Jesus has done in your heart. Not a means for salvation. I hope I'm, I'm making sense here. Because because, I mean, growing up, this is where I was. This is where I was. I got to do this. I got to do that to please God. And that is exhausting, to be honest. Very exhausting. You find yourself, like, kind of 
walking on eggshells, because if you do that, you're going to make God mad. If I do this, God is going to be upset with me. If I do that, this is going to happen. Maybe it's exhausting. But once you get to realization that I don't have to do this to earn my salvation, I, all I got to do is just to believe that Christ was here. He died for me, and he was resurrected. He ascended into heaven. He's right now at the right hand of the Father, and he brought the Holy Spirit into my life, and I can believe that. I can actually have faith in that. And the rest of the other things, you can do them as a result of that, of that transformation that has happened in your life. So God is not served by human hands. That is good news for someone who believes, but it's bad news for the strong, for the people that think that they can do something to earn God's favor. That is bad news. And the reason why it's bad news is because you can't do good enough. You just can't. At some point, you're going to find yourself disappointed at yourself even for, you know, committing the same mistake all over again. And you get frustrated. I've done this, and God is mad at me. That's not how it works. Fortunately, it's not how it works. God is not served by human hands. <clears throat> Jesus came to serve. He came to serve us. And I was listening to a sermon once by John Piper. He says, the kingdom of God is not help, a help-wanted sign. It's a help-available sign. And I felt that was amazing to hear. Jesus is there. Help is available, brothers and sisters. It's available in Christ. All we got to do is just to go to Christ the way we are, and he receives us. He will not reject us. He will receive us. And in fact, that's what he wants. That's exactly what he wants, to present ourselves to him the way we are, and we find healing, we find uh, we find all sorts of good things in him because he is perfect and we're not. And we need him. We need him. In Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to serve, but to, uh, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he didn't come to, to be served. That is why he humbled himself so much to die on the cross. And he was, he, he is king. So people saw this king right there on the cross. And people mocked him just the way that they mocked Paul. They mocked him. He was mocked because of our sins. Because he loves us so much. And he wanted us to be able to have this relationship with God. So Paul affected Athens tremendously. Tremendously. And in verse 30, he says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. 
Now, this is one thing that we sometimes we struggle to understand about God. We're happy to know that our God is merciful, He's loving, our God is gracious, He's a good God. We're happy with that. But the moment we start to hear about His justice, His righteousness, in judging the world with justice and righteousness, it kind of makes us tremble a little bit, right? Because that's, that is not something we want to hear. And, and, and I'm not talking only about you, about me too. I look at the things that I've done in my life, the things that I still do, and I'm like, God's judgment is real. It is real. And he says here that he has appointed a day. He has set out a day that he's going to judge the world with righteousness. I don't know what you understand by that, but that is pretty serious, brothers and sisters. It's very, very serious. In the book of Exodus, chapter 34, 6 and 7, he says this. Listen. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God, of the, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers, of the children and the children's children, to the third and the fourth generations. So the moment we hear this verse, we know, we know that, I mean, he's merciful, that's a good thing for a God. He's gracious, that is a terrific thing for a God. He's slow to anger, oh, praise God. Abounding in love, faithful, and he's forgiving. he forgives iniquity. We love those things of a God. But all of a sudden, the verse takes a turn. He will not clear the guilty. Are we not guilty? We are guilty of our sin. But through Christ, we have forgiveness. And because of that forgiveness, then we don't have to stand and be judged by God to be sent to eternal punishment. Our righteousness is in Christ. When God sees us, he sees Jesus' righteousness in us. And that is why it's so important for us to accept Jesus as our Savior. And I know that people may, might have issues with this word, accept Jesus. I, I don't think I do have issues with it because if we can reject God, I believe we can accept him, right? He gives us this, this choice, either him or either going to, or going to the eternal punishment. Now, I, I plead with you this morning as you hear this message. This is, this is serious. One day, God is going to judge the world with righteousness, with justice. And God's righteousness is different from the earthly righteousness. We do have the justice system here in America, just as anywhere else. And I believe that you have seen, you have seen situations in life where a judge decided on something that we did not agree with. Or because there were, it was because of maybe they knew you know, the person that they judged or because of corruption or stuff like that. But God does not have that. God does not need witnesses. He himself is the witness. 
He doesn't need an attorney to come to the court and testify. He doesn't need that. He himself knows everything. And when it says here he's going to judge the world with righteousness, that is what it is. We should take it the way it it plainly is. Judge the world with righteousness. And so the good news this morning is we don't have we don't have to we don't have to choose the wrong side. We don't have to choose Satan. We don't have to choose this eternal punishment. We have a chance today to say yes to Jesus. Just like Paul said yes to Jesus at the Damascus Road. And from that time on, his life was completely different. Completely different. He turned from being, being a persecutor of the church to being persecuted, even by the Jews. When he was in Berea, the people that were persecuting him were Jews, people that were chosen by God to bring salvation into the world. Those are the people that were persecuting Paul. Can you believe that? So he, his life was completely transformed. He was changed completely. And so I invite you this morning, if you think you're not sure where you're at, you have a chance. One day, God will judge the world. And, and you don't have to make a decision based on this verse. You don't have to be escapist, have escapist mentality. But you can just, with your willingness, come to God humbly and just humble yourself and tell God honestly and tell him who you are and who you've been. And Jesus is always there. He came to serve. And he still serves us to this day. Amen. He still serves us. So this is, this is where I'm going to end the message. And um, I'm going to go ahead and pray. God, thank you so much for your word. We thank you that your word is life. And that we can find life in you. Thank you so much for that. And I pray this morning that you continue to help us, God, on a daily basis as we make decisions and as we do things at, at our work and different places. I pray that you would help us to just look to you and do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Thank you so much for your goodness and for your love for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.